Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. Late October, tennis season still finishing up strong. Mark Knowles back again, uh, world number one in doubles. We've been over all your accolades, but here's another one I haven't mentioned. 24-year pro, so eat your heart out, Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was out there for quite a while. But, you know, if you love what you're doing, time goes fast, and uh, we see that with a lot of great athletes. uh, Saw that. Last night with Justin Verlander with the Astros, yeah. 39 years old, still going strong. So you still got a love and a passion for the game. Uh, time does go quickly. One thing before we get into the tennis, because it is kind of topical. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Vanya King on this podcast, and we were talking about all of her music talents and all of her accolades. And there was a clip from, I think, the City Open Pro-Am, excuse me, where she was singing, and then I oh, think no. you tried to follow. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if you love so what you're doing that So that clip's still out there, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I played world team tennis with Vanya King, and she's got such an incredible voice. And uh, our coach was Wayne Bryan, who obviously, you know, part of the Bryan Brothers Band and is is a avid musician. So kind of as a little bit of a mockery, I went out there and displayed how poor my voice really is and kind of kind of took it all the way. Um, I did not get any musical talent, no. unfortunately. My father was actually a lead singer in a band back ah. in the day, but it skipped me. My, si- my, my sister's got a good voice. I've got probably the worst voice on record. So unfortunately, my kids actually still, they still um, go on YouTube and, and they <laughs> see that, that clip yeah. and, and make fun of me. So uh, yeah, I remember that clearly, but I, I Vanya think, has a beautiful voice. Yeah, I think it was also, you know, the confidence was there, which is good. You weren't afraid. Hey, you got to embrace it. If you if you got a really horrible voice, <laughs> I mean, you got to you got to embrace it. You got to make you got to bring tears to people's yeah. eyes. <laughs> it's all about who you follow too. Like following her was not going to go well for a lot of people. So, uh, as we kind of transition to tennis here, the uh, San Diego Open just want to bookend that for the women of a loaded 500 field. Uh, with uh, another champion that we've said her name all year, Igis Fiontech, her eighth title of the year. And just running through the numbers, Mark, it's kind of startling. Uh, she had that 37-match win streak, but 64-8 and eight on the year, two slams. She's been collecting basically all the points. And she had the one loss a couple weeks ago to Krachikova on the final. Other than that, 8-1. and one. This is one of the uh, iconic years, I think, in women's tennis. And I know there's been others that Serena has won three slams, and we've seen great years. But in the 21st century... I don't think I've seen many tennis calendar seasons than better than what Iga's doing right now. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And it's also impressive how it came about, right? Obviously, Iga kind of burst on the scene when she did well at the French, the rain-delayed French um, that was played in the fall. But then, you know, our, our kind of, I don't know, our focus shifted to Ash Barty, of course, right? She was, you know, playing so well, won the Australian Open, and then we got kind of out of nowhere, Ash Barty announced her retirement. And it's so refreshing to see that Iga has basically announced her arrival mm-hmm. and assumed the position and has embraced it, 
right? Which has been kind of a difficult thing on the WTA tour um, outside of Serena and Venus. Um, it's been hard for those that have broken through by either winning a major or getting to that number one ranking, kind of sustaining that type of consistency. Yeah. And to see Iga at such a young age, really, I'm almost more impressed with her mindset, mm -hmm. the way she's embraced the top ranking, the way she's embraced, you know, the winning streaks, the eight titles. Um, she doesn't seem to be afraid of the spotlight at all, and that's impressive. Yeah, that's a good point, is that it's as great of a season as it is. It really didn't even start until, like, late February, yeah, early March. It snuck so up on us. <laughs> it's like if it would have, you know, it could even be better. I, I think that what she does, and you mentioned it, the mindset, the confidence, it's also that she appears to be widening the gap between her and the rest of the field. Well, it's interesting. When you look at champions, and, and that's what stands out for me with Iga Svantec, is that she's not necessarily gauging herself against her competition. She seems to be one of those that wakes up every day trying to get better as a tennis Process player. Process-oriented. Yeah. Like, I read a lot of her quotes. You know, she obviously has gotten fairly close to Rafael Nadal, trying to kind of have these relationships with players that she thinks she can learn from and continue to evolve and kind of implement those things in her game. And I think that's pretty special, you know, because when you get to the top of the game, you know, so often you're worried about your rivals and so forth, but she seems to be just worried about her game and trying to continue to improve certain things in her game, certain aspects. And that's probably why she is widening yeah. the margin because she's not so focused on who's two, who's three, who's on my heels. She's more focused on mm -hmm. how can I be a better player tomorrow than yeah. I was today. Like Rafa and the legends that retired, Serena and Federer, there doesn't appear to be like there's so many in not just tennis but sports, that mental fatigue that comes with not just winning but just playing all these tournaments. They add up the seasons long. Why do you think that mental fatigue just isn't there? I know she's been open about her mental health, but it seems like she just enjoys playing and there isn't even a trace of burnout at the moment. Well, I think th exactly the point that I just highlighted is important, right? If, if you're focused so much on points, defending your rivals, then it does become very mentally taxing. But I think for her, you know, she had a little bit of a hiccup, you could say, on the grass. Um, tough loss against Cornet. Cornet is obviously having a really good year, very mm -hmm. experienced, knows how to play. So not a horrible loss, but obviously ranking wise, she would have expected more. But outside of that, she's had such a terrific season. And I think it's because of the fact that she's not, and, and I don't know her personally. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of gauging what I read and, and how I see her react yeah. after victories and in big moments. To me, she seems very long-term focused, yeah. right? And as we all know, as a competitor, as an athlete, if you focus on the process and don't worry about the outcome, which is extremely hard to do, mm. you know, normally at the end of the road, things are going to look very rosy. Yeah. And so far in 22, it's been a banner <laughs> season for Iga. Yeah, a lot of roses for her. Uh, she beat Donna Vekic in the final, which props to her. Her ranking jumped 30 points. She had to qualify for that 500 tournament. Went through Pliskova, Sabalenka, Sakari. Uh, Collins was a two-day match and then had to play Iga in short rest. You know, it's not always, I mean, the champion story is great, but for a, a player like Donna Vekic, who's battled with injuries, still just 26, that run was very impressive. And, you know, we talk about the season going into October. This could set her up nicely with some momentum in 2023. Oh, definitely. It was a great week. Uh, we obviously know what type of tennis Donna Vekic can play. And like you said, she's been plagued by injury. And, you know, unfortunately for most players, when you have injuries, you lose confidence as well. And the good sign for Donna Vekic is, coming through qualifying with some quality wins, as you just highlighted, all of a sudden our confidence is mm -hmm. going to jump. And for players like Donna Vekic, who know they can play at a very high level, as soon as that confidence comes yeah. in, 
then you start to play the type of tennis you're used to playing. So that's a really nice springboard yeah. for Donna going into the offseason and heading into next year. So one of the players I just wanted to ask you, she beat Pliskova. It was the first time in like 10 years she'd beaten her. She lost her three times last year. Did you ever have any of that, like uh, in any of your big-time doubles matches, just a player or a team that just kind of got your number and maybe you were able to kind of overcome them and just how mentally that challenge affected you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think for for me, the roadblock was Paul Harhus and Jaco Elting, okay. uh, a great team from Holland. Uh, you know, they were number one in the world, won many slams. Um we played them a couple of times, a couple of big matches, finals of the French. Um, and I think we, we, I remember beating them in Doha, but we didn't beat them very often and uh, very close matches all the time. So, yeah, it is a bit of a block. And then I remember a couple of years later, um, Daniel and I played Paul Harhus and Yevgeny Kafelnikov in the finals of the mm. French. And, you know, we, we thought we were the favorite for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, Harhus, even though he wasn't with Elting, he still yeah. got us with Kafelnikov, who's a pretty good partner anyway. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you definitely have those matchups. And I remember when I played singles as well, there was uh, an American guy named Richie Redenberg, who yeah. we all remember, great player. Um, you know, his game just suited my game perfectly. Uh, no matter how well I was playing, um, he seemed to have the answers. And, and you have that. And that's what makes tennis so great is that, it's all about matchups, mm -hmm. right? It, it, a lot of it is about matchups, and you've got to try to find a way, um, maybe pre-match to have a different strategy, and if it's not working, try to figure something out during mm -hmm. the match, and that, that's really what I love about tennis. Styles make fights. It's a beautiful thing. Um, we kind of, you know, we know, we are all pro-ego, and we want to mention this as well, because it's not just her, but the debate's ramping up for what is or isn't hindrance, and I watched the Ostapenko match with Bouchard the other day, just to put it into context, which I know you were calling, but... Iga's kind of been open that she made a mistake with kind of waving her hands in the air when Vekic is playing a point. Ostapenko moving before the serve of Jeannie Bouchard. If you could kind of just talk about what you think is or isn't hindrance in those situations and when the umpire might step in. Because I think a lot of tennis people, fans are watching it saying, I don't know if this should be called. And we'd love to hear the experts and what their take is. Yeah, I'm a bit of a harsh judge for sure because I, I come from a purist mentality. Like I'm, I'm all about sportsmanship. <laughs> and, um, you know, you never want to see a great champion do anything that's, you know, somewhat borderline or <laughs> distracting. In regards to Iga, I haven't seen, you know, I've seen her play quite a bit, but I haven't seen all of her matches. Um, that was kind of the first time I'd ever seen her kind of do that um, kind of arm-waving midpoint. I'm, I'm a little bit more forgiving there. I, I'd have to kind of study it a little bit more. You know, I, I think it was probably in the moment. I don't mm -hmm. think there was anything intentional there. And then with Ostapenko, I called her match the other day against Jeannie Bouchard. You know, she's moving around a lot. Um, technically, it's it's within the rules, right? Mm -hmm. Um it's just one of those kind of unwritten things in the locker room. Um, the only thing I didn't really like about the Austin, I don't mind the movement. You can move. Yeah. But she was really screeching the shoes a lot mm. on the court, which I, I think is quite distracting for, at the time, Jeannie Bouchard, as she throws the toss, you're about to serve. Um, but, you know, also, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too much of a purist. I think that, and I also did, I actually read a comment that somebody mentioned, and once again, I've seen Ostapenko play many times. Um, a lot on clay, so you don't get the screeching. Um, I'd have to watch a lot of her matches to see, because somebody did note that can, she does it quite consistently against mm -hmm. everybody. So maybe that's just, you know, her take on the return. Um, but I, I'm normally a purist, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm always kind of against anything that could be gamesmanship. Yeah. But I also know, hey, they're competitors at the end of the day, and 
It's on an athlete, and credit to Jeannie Bouchard. She never showed that it bothered right. her. I, I didn't see any post-match conference. She didn't say anything but during the match, and so she did exactly what every athlete should do, just focus on what's on your side of the net. Because ultimately, at the end <laughs> of the day, whatever movement's going on on the other side of the court is not going to affect your yeah. shot unless you get distracted. So right. it's still in your court to be focused and, and not worry about what's going on, on the other side of the court. Right. I'm not a stickler for the rule book necessarily. I do think that maybe there's discretion for the umpire could say something, not like a warning or anything like that, but just say, hey, kind of tone it down. Or Yeah, I situation. remember, you know, we had some stuff in doubles. Um, <laughs> I remember Mark Woodford, one of the greatest doubles players ever. I was watching him play, I think, maybe, maybe Rick Leach and Ellis Fur back in the day, mm -hmm. and I believe he was going in and out of the service box <laughs> while his partner was returning. Um, you know, a lot of distracting. You yeah. see that a lot in doubles, yeah. too. Some guys really straddle that center line mm -hmm. and then move back and forth trying to distract the server. Once again, I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of bogus. I think if you're a great champion, you don't need to do that. But having said that, it's within the rules, and it's on every athlete to just yeah. stay focused and not let it bother. Athletes always looking to gain an inch. Uh, somebody to also put a bookend in San Diego, Coco Golf. She didn't win the tournament, lost to Iga. Uh, in the semifinals, but in doing so, she qualified for both the singles and the doubles for Fort Worth. Youngest player since Anna Kornikova in 1999 to do that, and just steadily increasing and improving time after time. 18 years old already feels like a veteran, Mark, but to do it in both aspects, I think is the underrated part of this, is that she's still staying true to her doubles game, and in a way, I think that's helping her in her singles career. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I think it gives her a release, right? It's it's hard to play both, especially at a high level when you talk about nowadays with the physicality of the game. Um, also, recovery time, things like that. Of course, Coco's young. But I, I think she's going about it the right way because I think it's helping her singles game, right? She yeah. serves very well. She's getting more comfortable moving forward with her type of athleticism. As she gets better in the forecourt, that's only going to help her. And, you know, she's playing with a good friend, yeah. Jessica Pagula. They're doing well. So... I think they're they're viewing they're taking the yeah. doubles in the right direction as far as using it as kind of a fun relaxed time, but of course competitive. They have a chance, you know. They're entered this week yeah. in the doubles as well, and I was looking at the rankings. They have a chance to finish number one in the world, mm. which is a special thing. So I'm sure that's a goal of theirs as well, while they try to manage the singles expectations as well. But I will say it's it's going to be a busy schedule <laughs> yeah. in Fort Worth because. There are a couple other ladies that are possible to play singles and doubles there as well. So that, yeah. that kind of makes the scheduling a little bit more complicated. Do you think with Coco Goff, and again, I've sung her praises for a while, what she's done is remarkable. It seems like it's just been that steady progress. But I use the term loosely because it seems like everybody does. Does she have a tactical or a tennis side issue with Iga Spiontek because she hasn't beaten her yet, hasn't won a set off? Or I know Iga's handled just about everybody, but think that matchup is a problem for her specifically with what her game does? I don't think necessarily. I think it's just one of those things where Coco has to make certain improvements in her game, and she, she knows what they are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's got enough firepower. She's got a weapon on the serve. Obviously looking for a little more consistency on the mm -hmm. second serve. And, you know, the forehand's key, obviously, right? The, winning that forehand ba battle against Iga, that's a, that's a big part of that matchup. And as you mentioned, they're both young, but Coco's extremely young. She's only 18, and I think it's important for us to not lose mm -hmm. sight of that, right? Yeah. High expectations. She made the finals of the French. You know, we all want her to win majors and so forth, but we all know mm -hmm. she's going to win her fair share of mm -hmm. majors. She's going to figure it all out, and she's going to be an incredible player. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. More with Mark Knowles here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Well, we kind of segue into the race to the Fort Worth race for the WTA Finals, which kind of insane that we're <laughs> a week and a half out and we still don't know the field yet. We hardly knew the field when it started. The live updates as we record this now is Iga, Ans, Pagua, Coco, and Garcia, who narrowly has survived. They're all in. Three spots left. Sabalenka's in six. She lost, so she's waiting. You've got names like Kuder Matova that are still around, Collins, Kazakina. Not in that particular order. Madison Keys is still around. It's remarkable that it's come to this point, but I guess going back to it, it's what happens when the number one player just collects all the points. Yeah, that's a good point. You you mentioned the divide between Igor Svantec and the rest of the competition, especially when it comes to ranking points. Mm-hmm. So it creates a lot of excitement, right? And and that's what's great, especially from a player standpoint. You know, usually from a fan perspective. They kind of think that tennis dies down after mm-hmm. the final major U.S. Open, but actually it, it heats up from a player standpoint because yeah. it's a huge honor for the players to make the WTA finals, the year-end championships, because it's a great reflection of the year you've had. And so, you know, those are co- coveted coveted spots right now, and there's a lot of action this week in Guadalajara. There's another young lady, Sam Sonova, who <laughs> has an outside chance. I think she's 22 in the race. Yeah. And if she were to win the title, yeah. she's playing great tennis, by the way, she could punch her ticket to Fort Worth. So that, that provides a lot of excitement. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, with Rabakina not in it because of the Grand, Grand Slam rule, not the same as in the ATP that has Djokovic comfortably in. Samsonova would be great. Ostapenko still alive. And, and someone like Collins still being in it, like hasn't played a lot of tennis. But, I mean, I watched her in person last week. Just the gamer, the competitive level is always there. And that is, I mean, everyone talks about being fearless. She just is fearless. Oh, you're 100% right. <laughs> she is fearless. And it's yeah. an incredible testament to her because she hasn't been able to play that much this year. Obviously, had a breakout Australian Open where she made it all the way to the finals, losing to Ash Barty. But one thing about Danielle Collins, once she finds her confidence and you know she's going to believe in herself, so she's always a dangerous out. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, Guadalajara, you know, different conditions, right? Yeah. 5,000 feet, a little bit of altitude. So, you know, if Collins finds her groove, she could be very dangerous in Guadalajara. I find it fascinating which players, and a lot of times it doesn't even men and women, it doesn't determine skill set. It's just certain players can just hop right back in and kind of pick up where they left off. Maybe it's because they're fearless. Maybe they frustrate opponents. I think Andrescu's like that. Yeah. Hasn't played a lot of tennis. Plays Coco three tough sets, loses. Bagels, Kvitova in the third set. She's another one that if she's healthy and she's out there, I think she's dangerous regardless of whether she has on-court time. Yeah, you know, Andrescu's really stood out. It's only been a couple of matches so far this week in Guadalajara, but kind of pencil that name right there. <laughs> yeah. Put a circle around. Mm-hmm. She's playing some really good tennis, and you mentioned it, fearless. And she's one of those players, obviously. We know what she yeah. did at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago, kind of coming out of nowhere. She's one of those players that – once she gets her confidence, she knows where she knows the level that she can play at. It's like I always say, she like plays the match on her terms. Yep. Like whatever happens, win or lose, she's going to play her match. Before we get to the men's side of things, this question's been in vogue a lot, and I know a lot of people have thoughts on it. But as someone that lived it for all those years that I mentioned, do you think the season is too long, and do you think there should be some reform, or do you like how it is the way it is? Yeah, man, that, that's a funny one. We've been talking about that yeah. forever. Um, 
from when I first came on tour. It's, it's, you know, it's always been kind of the feeling amongst players that the season's too long. When you look at other sports, there's no real extended offseason. But it's also very difficult, especially now being on the other side. I'm an ATP board member, so I kind of in the boardroom, in the conference room, seeing the other side of it. There's just so many things, you know, speaking for the ATP tour that come into play. You know, so many people want to host events. We have a lot of tournaments. It's hard to kind of manage the calendar, I think, in a perfect world. But then, honestly, from a top player standpoint, of course, they want a shorter season. But then we always have to juggle the lower ranked guys want That's more it. job opportunities. Yeah. So, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, you know, it sounds very easy. Okay, let's <laughs> just end the tour after the U.S. Open and call it a day. But you got Davis Cup, you got mm-hmm. many things, you got uh, Billie Jean King Cup, you got the WT Finals, ATP Finals. Like, there's still a lot going on. Yeah. So, it's a very hard one. I think that I know from the ATP standpoint, they, they worked pretty hard on trying to mm-hmm. get one or two extra weeks. Um, WTA obviously ends a lot sooner, so yeah. credit to them that they've been able to figure that out. I'm just not sure. I don't see it happening anytime right. soon. It's just, it is what it is, and I think it's important for the players, and I think that you know Roger and Rafa have really kind of implemented, if I think back to the former great players that felt kind of um, – felt almost imprisoned by the schedule. Mm-hmm. I think these guys like Roger, Rafa, they've done a better job of managing their schedule within the year. Right. They'll take pockets off, and obviously they're looking to peak in the big events, the majors, the masters events. But generally, they're smart at kind of taking some time away, making sure they take care of their bodies, which I'm not sure the guys of the past, you know, knowing guys like Agassi, Courier, um, you know, obviously Andre did a good job sometimes of taking breaks, but I felt like they felt that they had to play a lot more, mm-hmm. whereas now the top guys are a little bit more selective. And it'll be interesting moving forward because, you know, as the, the big three shift out of the game, you know, we've got a, cr- hold, a whole host of youngsters coming up. Yeah. Obviously play a lot. You know, the Sitsipasas and so forth team, when he was healthy, played a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much they change their schedule. Right, and it's important to note that if you have a good year, if you set yourself up, you don't have to play after the U.S. We saw that with Serena Williams all these years. We've seen the players, as you mentioned, take breaks. It's hard to stop, especially the young players that want to improve or a guy like Dominic Team who needs these match reps in to get back to where he wants to be. So I'm with you there. I know it's, it's a tough one. It's been going on forever. I'm not going to say no to more tennis, but here we are. We're kind of just getting ready for the ATP finals, and – I mentioned on the men's, on the women's side, all the players that are still fighting for it. The men's season's a little longer, and there's still people up for grabs. Uh, you know, you played in I think 12 ATP finals, and which is obviously, as you mentioned, a huge honor. But it's a round robin format, so how was that different than going into that tournament where you knew one match you're done? Where in this one, maybe you have a little more breathing room. Yeah, it's a lot different, but you know, believe it or not, you still kind of have the same mentality because in the round robin format, obviously there's several computations as far as qualifying for the semifinals, but you kind of got to have the mentality, hey, I need to win every match I play, mm-hmm. right? So even though you know there's a little bit of forgiveness if you lose that first match, yeah. and depending on the scoreline, you want to kind of control your destiny. That's how we always approached it when we played it at the tour finals. Didn't kind of want to leave it in the hands of others where you're <laughs> yeah, you know, hoping yeah. and pleading that a set goes this way or a match goes that way. But it's definitely different. You know, you know you're going to play three matches um, generally as long as you stay healthy. But your ultimate goal, your first goal is to get to the semifinals. So the only way you're going to get to the semifinals and win your group is if you win that first match. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, then once you win that first match, it's the same type of thing. You try to win the second. If you go 2-0, and oh, mm-hmm. then it becomes interesting. That's yeah. when things become interesting, especially because then you start thinking, you start checking out the configurations. Wait, do I actually yeah. want to play that guy or okay. do I not want to yeah. play that guy? Maybe I want to lose this match, but if I win this match, there's more money, there's more points. <laughs> but then I'm going to have a tougher semifinal yeah. match. But if I lose it, I'll get less money, less points, but I'll have an easier semifinal match and then yeah. I'll be in the final. Like <laughs> It starts getting pretty crazy. And you can go two and one and not make it. Like we've seen yeah. it happen before. So there you is a go uh, if I'm if I'm correct, I think you can go one and two and make it. You can. Depending on sets the tiebreaker. So yeah. That's when we go down to like strength of schedule, coin toss, yeah. all that stuff, racket spin or something. Uh, well we know Alcaraz, Nadal, Rude, Sitsipas, and Djokovic are in. Three spots left. Medvedev and Rublev at the top of that list right now with Felix, Fritz, Herkosh, Nori, uh Berrettini Center still alive. But you know, looking at that list, the first thing that stood out to me was you know, the Russian players that hadn't been able to play, dealt with injuries, still kind of in pole position speaks volumes to just what they've done when they did play and also just kind of how weird this year has been with tournaments missed, with players not playing. There's also some young guys in Fritz, in Felix, that could be making the event for the first time. So this is going to be quite the finish down the race. Yeah, I mean, obviously on the men's side, it's been a strange year, right? I mean, it started at the start of the year with Novak not being allowed to play in Australia and the back and forth and... You know, if you look at it for Novak, I mean, my goodness, he, he, the year he's had when he's been able to play, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's an unfortunate year for Novak, honestly, not being able to play and so forth. And everyone's got their view. But mm-hmm. regardless of that, just talking from a tennis standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, one of our greatest players not being able to play certain events has been tricky. And then same for the Russians, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to play at Wimbledon, which made it very tricky. So, you know, we have a weird, strange mix of rankings, even in the actual rankings as opposed to the race as well. But, you know, as we saw Rublev winning last week, Rublev's con- continued to have a very solid year. Yeah. Um, hasn't, you know, gotten to the heights in the grand slams of the majors that I know that he wants, mm-hmm. but he continues to be one of the best players in the world. Felix has broken through, starting to play some great tennis. Sinner, of course. So yeah. We've got this incredible mix, and then, you know, the revelation of Alcaraz. I mean, we, we all knew it was coming. Yeah. I don't think any of us knew it was coming this quickly. I know I, I'm surely stunned when you think that he's the youngest number <laughs> one ever when we're coming out of yeah. the three greatest players that w- we've ever seen. But, you know, it's it's also why, hey, we can predict and, and we can <laughs> think we yeah. know what's going to happen, but at the end of the day, we don't. And that's what makes sport and, and this game of tennis so exciting because Alcaraz is just... He's incredible. I'm so intrigued to see him as the guy. Like, if that changes the dynamic, if it changes how players approach him, like this new role, which obviously he's earned and he'll be in that role for a lot of his career, but this is going to change the dynamic, and I just can't wait to see what the matches look like now with him as the crowd yeah, top dog. It's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously I think he's going to lean a lot on his coach, former world number one Juan Carlos Ferrero, in dealing with being the guy, right? Yeah. It's one thing to get to number one. It's a whole nother ball game to stay there. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, I'm not sure, he, of course, he wanted to be number one at this young of an age, but I'm not sure he expected to be there. Yeah. So I think this has all come a little quickly. So I think mentally he's going to have to make some serious adjustments because he's the hunted now. Yeah. Guys are going to come out every time, bring in their best, and yeah. that takes a lot of mental resilience. So it'll be very interesting. Can we just co-sign on stability from a coaching team standpoint is a good thing. I know some players have been just kind of switching stuff around, but I think there's a trend developing here, not just with Alcaraz. Some of these American guys that have had stable teams are starting to play the long game and break through. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, obviously there's so much pressure, right, on these players for results, whether it's 
points, contracts, you know, support system, everybody, you know, mm -hmm. they want wins, they want victories. But I think in the end, listen, coaching is so important, right? It, it's fascinating when you see a player actually find a relationship where they're comfortable and allows them to really start to improve and implement things in their game. And obviously, Ferrero's done a masterful job with Alcaraz, and I think consistency is good. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, it takes a while sometimes to develop relationships to understand a player's game. Um, so I think that's that's a good thing. The last thing on the men's game that I wanted to bring up is these American players that are having career years, whether it's Taylor Fritz under the top 10, Francis Tiafo, the U.S. Open run, keeping that going, and even Tommy Paul, who's playing some of his best tennis. What can these guys do to keep the progress, keep the climb going, and not plateau, which we've seen so many times? You know, I think that the American men are in a really good spot. You know, I've always felt from the beginning since I, I first saw Taylor Fritz play, I knew he had the weapons. More importantly, he had the mentality. I, yeah. I've always loved the way the guy has competed. He's a great competitor. Obviously, in the beginning, it was about movement and, and improving movement, but he was always very dedicated to trying to get better in, in terms of movement. And he's done that. He's become a complete player. He's doing better when he moves forward. So I think it's an important milestone for him to be into the top 10 because now mm -hmm. we're seeing, you know, Francis Tiafo, who's dynamic, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what a what a awesome player. And he's got a great coach. He's got Wayne Ferrer, somebody mm -hmm. who's been there, who knows it. And I think that they have a great working yeah. relationship where it's really helping Francis believe in himself. And with Taylor doing so well, you know, Tommy Paul has made incredible strides over the last 12 months. He's playing really good tennis. Um, and then when Opelka comes back, I mean, let's not forget about Opelka, of course, sideline with the hip surgery. But, you know, he's got a huge game. He's good friends with all of those guys. They're all guys. pushing each other. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's super important. You know, I played in the age when, you know, it was Andre, Jim, Pete, Michael, all those guys. And, and knowing those guys and kind of being around them, they were all pushing. You know, the minute that Michael mm. won a major, it was like, wait, yeah. if he can do it, I can do yeah. it. So I think for these guys, you know, they're all good friends. They have a tremendous amount of respect for one another. But with Taylor now being into the top 10, I'm sure all the other guys are like, hey, yeah. why aren't we can be there. And then hopefully, you know, Taylor, he's challenged at a major, played great at Wimbledon. As they start to really make some, yeah. some indents in majors, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to help everybody. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A few more things with Mark Knowles before we wrap up here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, some good points on the American tennis. Also want to shout out Seppi, Andreas Seppi, for retiring. Yeah. Uh, great career. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it didn't have the accolades that a lot of people at the outside would be like, well, what were the accomplishments? But he played for so long. He notched some huge wins. And really, I think the, the crowning moment for him is kind of starting this Italian tennis revolution. Like, a lot of players that are, pushing the door down now or, or going through the doors that he walked through originally. So I think Seppi's career deserves a shout out. I would have loved to see him get that wild card in Naples, but huge, yeah. huge props for Andrea yeah. Seppi. Um, you know, I played number of years, our, our, our um, careers were at kind of similar times. So I got mm -hmm. to see him up close and personal. Um, you know, I think when you think about tennis, right, how are players going to make it? You think weapons yeah. movement, 
And when you first saw Seppi, doesn't have really any weapons, right? But the guy moves incredibly well, competes incredibly well. What he was able to achieve in his career, incredible, really. Mm -hmm. And honestly, one of the nicest guys you'll ever come across. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just comes to work, does his job, you know, very low-key guy, and got robbed. The fact that he didn't get a wild card is, you know, it's unfortunate. It really is. Um, you know, he had two tournaments in Italy. He had one in Florence, one in Naples. He wanted to go out playing an ATB Tour event, and it's really, really bad that they didn't award him a wild yeah. card. Don't, don't want to get into the politics there, but, you know, somebody like Seppi who's given so much to Italian tennis, and you're 100% you're right. When you think about guys that kind of bridge the gap, Seppi, Fonini, has now gotten us to this stage where we have Berrettini, Musetti, and the list goes on where we have a ton of young Italians yeah. that are flourishing on the ATP Tour. So, you know, I, I feel really bad for Andrea, but he's going to play a challenger. Yeah. He knows he has the respect of all his mm -hmm. peers, and he's had a terrific career. Center with a great tribute to him as well, looking up to him. It was great to see. Uh, last thing I kind of want to go over, how was Dirk Nowitzki's tennis event this year? September yeah. 25th. I saw the, you know, Dirk and Luca Doncic were kind of going at it. The, the trash talk was was ramping up. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, Dirk does a great job with his charity event, and um you know, we had some some great former ATP ATP pros there. Obviously, Andy Roddick was there, which was really cool. John Isner came out, mm. which was a great. You know, obviously recovering from the left hand injury. Um, Luca was pretty solid, by the way. I mean, Dirk is good. Dirk's got a bomb serve, brings the heat. He's got a heavy forehand. Movements a, a little bit. You know, yeah. it's a He's little bit there. of a struggle yeah, yeah. now, but that's okay. But Luca was pretty competitive, and those guys they trash talk <laughs> each other a lot, which is really fun. Um, obviously, they have a great relationship, and, and Dirk's been great to Luca. But, you know, it's a really fun event. Uh, they, everybody comes out and supports it, and good to see those guys coming out. You know, Luca's yeah. probably, what, that was only two, three weeks before the season. Uh -huh. So, you know, we were, we were watching. Everybody was watching Luca very closely. Make sure he <laughs> yeah. doesn't roll an ankle. Make, yeah, it's make like sure if Nash or Dirk yeah. hurts, like, ah, oh, they're yeah, like, playing. You know, kind of <laughs> with kids' gloves with yeah. Luca. But Luca yeah. played extremely well. It was yeah. a lot of fun. And you just mentioned Steve yeah. Nash was there, who's yeah. a really good player. Mm -hmm. I mean, Steve's a really good player, plays a couple times a week. So it's always fun to be a part of it. And, you yeah. know, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's always a fun event to see. I, I love anybody that kind of crosses over from one sport to tennis, which is good. Well, Mark Knowles, this has been fun. I, I will let you go with this. A shout out. I know you've become not just a tennis big fan, big commentator, but a big high school football fan in Texas yeah, now yeah. with South Lake Carroll, you know, the undefeated, your son Graham at the quarterback position. How's that been to kind of just watch their success and watch your son just ball out on the football field? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, obviously, we're a big sports family. Uh, my wife and I, we love sports. Our kids got into sports at a very young age. Um, you know, Graham never really took to the tennis, even though he was around the tennis when I was mm -hmm. still doing pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, took to the other sports. And mm -hmm. football's really turned, you know, it's, it's been his love, and he's a quarterback. And it's super exciting. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Friday Night Lights is real. Mm -hmm. um, for those that haven't been to Texas on a Friday night, um, so we fully embraced it. I mean, it's it's awesome. Um, it's awesome to kind of help him through this journey. And, um, you know, our other kids play a lot of sports, too. I have a 14-year-old Brody, plays football as well basketball he actually plays a little bit of tennis okay. and then my daughter presley plays basketball tennis and then she told me the the best phrase i've ever heard a couple of weeks ago she goes dad i, I kind of really like golf 
Oh. And I was like, that is the best. So hopefully <laughs> yeah. I'll be going out to the range with her quite often to um, play some golf, which would be great for me. But it's been really fun. Yeah. You know, Friday Friday nights have, yeah. have, have taken on a new meaning, right? In tennis, it was always about getting to the weekend. Yeah. For football, it's it's about Friday nights. So it's it's been fun. How are you as like a sports football parent? Are you kind of just pacing around a little bit? Or are you isolated? I'm actually pretty yeah. relaxed. Okay. Honestly, I'm pretty relaxed. I, I, you know, I've had my fair share of youthful sports intensity for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. throughout the years but yeah. you know now that it's pretty serious you know yeah. being starting yeah. quarterback for a you know a really good high school football team I mean at the end of the day I think if you understand sports yeah. you know you you just if you know they're prepared and they're you know ready to play at the end of the day it's it's about execution so there's not much I yeah. can do I can't do much from the stands so I'm actually pretty relaxed obviously I, I just I have a lot of belief in Graham so that helps um but at the end of the day, you know, there's not much I can do. So um, it's it's his show, yeah. and uh, you know, I'm just happy to be be a part of it and be there to watch. Well, best of luck to uh, Graham and South Lake Carroll's football team as they're undefeated. Hope to continue that on. Mark Knowles, thanks again for joining Tennis Channel Inside and a regular guest. Uh, whenever we can get you back in here, we'd love to have you. Thanks for talking tennis on today's show. Thanks, Mitch. Love to talk tennis. I'll come back anytime. That was Tennis Channel Inside In with Mark Knowles. We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast for the entire catalog of episodes. Also on all of your podcast platforms weekly on Thursday. We'll be back next week to talk the WTA Finals from Fort Worth, which will be getting underway, the ATP final push for the season, and much more with some special guests in the tennis world. For Mark Knowles, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.